enjoy a quiet confidence, a peaceful confidence, even as we uh, face opposition in this world, even as we see injustice in the world around us, things going wrong. Um, Definitely, that's the testimony of the psalmist here. And I trust, I trust that we're growing in our ability to just be confident in God because he's got things in his hand. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we go into uh, or continue on in Acts chapter 9, talking about the uh, this, um, conversion of Saul, finishing up this, this story together. But let's, let's bow, let's pray, let's ask God just to um, help us in our focus, get our hearts uh, directed toward him as we prepare to study his word. Father, you are faithful and we know that to be true. We've seen that in the past. We see it through history and what a varied history our world has had. Your people have had in this world. And yet through the good times and the bad, you have been there and you have um, given this underlying foundation uh, that we can be confident in your faithfulness, your great faithfulness, despite the things that we may face in this world. So help us as we look into your word this morning. Help us to to come to you, to be able to look beyond what we see going on around us, uh, what we feel in our own hearts, to trust in what is true in terms of what you have said to us, what you've shown us, and what you continue to do through uh, the events not simply of the history of our own lives. So, Lord, teach us, help us to grow through our time together this morning, looking into, into your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So there's one thing that we cannot deny. Uh, Saul's conversion was dramatic. We always go back to Saul's conversion when we want to talk about a dramatic conversion they we always talk about his damascus road experience but there was more to the drama than simply him falling to the ground uh the bright light um ananias's epiphany is ananias god meets with him and says go find this man and and there's more to it than simply the fact that he had this miraculous restoration of his sight the big drama was in the transformation of Saul's heart a complete switch it wasn't like he was on the road to Damascus and he went zero to a hundred and three seconds or something no he completely completely changed directions is that what took place when you came to know the Lord was it a complete change of direction? Because sometimes when we talk about salvation, sometimes when people think about salvation, they think, well, it wasn't really like that. It was sort of like I accommodated uh, the gospel into my life. I, well, sort of attached Jesus to the way I thought and, you know, just maybe trimmed things up a little bit, a uh, few tweaks but that's not salvation, is it? Salvation is when there's this transformation where we're going our own way, we're doing our thi- own thing, and basically we're the one who sets the course. That's humanism. That's natural. That's the littlest ones are doing that. I mean, they're, they're born, they come into this world, and they set their course based on what they want. But when Christ comes in, it's, it's a change in direction. It's, there's a new Lord and Master. There's a new focus. There's a new destination. There's a new goal. And that is what happened. That's what we see with Paul. Uh, you know, Jesus says, lay down your life and take up your cross. And it's not in the doing that is our salvation. It's in the transformation of our heart where we go, I want to lay down my life. I want to take up my cross 
That's the salvation. And the fruit of that salvation is, yeah, us doing it. Sometimes better than other times. Sometimes it seems like we're, we're able to lay aside what we want and go, Lord, it's all about you. And then other times, it begins to look like just normal life where we're fighting to hold the reins. We're fighting to do what we want, right? But we know. We know who should be in charge because of the transformed heart, because of that gift of faith that he's given to us. And so here's Paul, Saul, right? I keep changing his name before I should. Here's Saul, and he leaves off being an arrogant religious Pharisee who's ready to stomp out people who do not agree with him. And he becomes this humble man, this man who's humbled before Jesus Christ and ready to die. You see the difference? He's ready to kill for a man-made religion, but he's ready to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a big change, isn't it? And that's the, the difference that I wish more people would see as they look at all of these other options that are out there. You know, when you really believe in something as a religion and that you're ready to make people change. In fact, to its extreme, it's we kill people if they're not willing to switch to our truth, what we believe to be right. But when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus led the way in this. He was willing to lay down his life for that gospel. For those who would believe in that gospel. And we see this, this big switch, this transition in Saul's life. But it wasn't so much about time as it was in terms of his willingness just to embrace it, his boldness in preaching. And yeah, in just a few verses, there was this huge switch. We'll be seeing what the time span was a little bit more as we go along. But today we're going to finish Luke's account of Saul's conversion. And we're going to keep learning about true Christian transformation, what we would want to have happen in our lives. And we're going to learn about the world's natural reaction to our transformation. And that natural reaction is persecution. Opposition that leads to persecution. And you might be thinking, wow, that's not very compelling if you think about a gospel and trying to share the gospel with people, telling us that there's going to be persecution, there's going to be opposition, people are going to be against us. In fact, there's going to be an attack on Christ and his gospel as we embody it. But you know, the gospel is never about uh, a compelling gospel that, well, everything's going to be easier. Everything's going to be better now, right? That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. And we see that in various forms all around us in the world. People saying, you know, even using the name of Christ, love Jesus and everything will be better. But that is not the gospel. That's not the gospel that, that Saul was saved by. In fact, um, the Lord was very upfront with him. And he saved him from uh, a humanistic belief, a humanistic opinion to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where it was, you come to be saved, and you're saved from something terrible. You're saved from perishing. John 3.16. You know, we, we like the first part. Uh, we, we can grapple with that. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Wow. He gave his son for me. But it's that we should not perish. That's why the gospel is attractive to us. Not because everything's easy, but because we're going down a road that leads to destruction. In verse 18 of John 3.16, it says, You're condemned already. 
Our life condemns us. The fact that we don't measure up condemns us. And so that is why we reach out. We embrace the gospel. It's not because it's going to be easier. And when the Lord saves Saul, he tells Ananias in chapter 9, verse 16, he says to him, I've told Saul what he's going to suffer for my name's sake. Talk about, you know, a real turnoff in terms of coming to faith. But as Saul saw it, and as we should see it, there's no other option. There's one truth that saves. There's one name under heaven, and it's Jesus Christ. And so, God was very upfront with Saul, and, and he was very upfront with other believers as well. I mean, Jesus Christ, what did he say to his disciples? If they persecute me, they will persecute you. John fifteen twenty. And that is that is the truth that we that we must understand, that it would be great for us to understand more and more. There's going to be opposition, going to be hard times. In fact, there's this thread, uh, a, a theology of persecution that goes throughout the Word of God. It does. And I'm just going to touch on a few things just to, just to give us an idea of what that is. Uh, Jesus says, it will happen. But he also says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a blessing. Blessed are you when men revile you for my name. Um, it, it's according to your faithfulness. If you're faithful... You know, the more faithful you are, the more opposition you're going to find. But it's a refining persecution, too. It's something that, that changes us, that helps us understand our faith, that draws us closer, closer to the Lord. And in fact, you remember this from Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That persecution will never, never come between us and our Savior. And so we go along through this and we start to remember all this teaching and also this part, you know, where the Lord says, if they, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. But pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. And so we get this idea that this isn't just one sort of thing that's thrown out there. You know, there might be some tough times. Or you could face some opposition here. It's something that's very definitely taught. It's going to be hard. There's going to be, in fact, persecution. If you are faithful in preaching the gospel, if you're faithful in living the gospel, if you're bold, it's going to happen, but here's how we face it. It's going to be a good thing for you. It's going to draw you closer to me. Your faith will grow. So love these people, even those people who are your enemies. And so we sort of understand that and we go, okay, this is, this is for real. How are we going to handle it? How are we going to face? Well, this passage, this passage is all about that. Um, how God will provide in the face of opposition, in the face of even persecution. And so in step with the conversion of Paul, this is quite dramatic as well. Saul, it seems, and Paul later, follow the path of greatest resistance. You've heard that phrase, following the path of least resistance. Well, not with Saul. He follows the path of greatest resistance. He gives his all. He does whatever God calls him to do, even though things might not turn out well for him. And so in this story, you got three words, basket, Barnabas, well, I guess this is not just three words, but brothers in Christ. Those are the, the three Bs, okay, in this story that help us tune into what's going on and how God provides for us as we live faithful lives and face persecution, even opposition. But those three words help us key in on this idea of God will sometimes give us a way of escape. That's the basket. Barnabas, he usually provides sacrificial support. 
The word friend is, is too small a word for what can happen in these relationships. And he always gives us authoritative guidance. That's the brothers in Christ. So let's, let's go into this passage, this part of the passage, and let's try and understand how good God is to us as we face opposition, as we live out a bold faith in his gospel. When many days had passed, verse 23, chapter 9, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night, led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, the disciples, and he preached boldly in the name of the Lord and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarshish. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. So we start out. God's provision in the face of persecution. How he stands with us as there are others who stand against us. And we want to look at, first of all, this basket. Uh, In persecution, the Lord can provide a way of escape. Isn't that what we all ask for when there's trouble? We say, Lord, beam me out of here. Just suck me up. Take me away from this. I do not want to be in the middle of this. But I only say he can provide a way of escape. He doesn't always. He's not obligated. Nor is it always or often even in our best interest. The things that we face in this life, they're things that challenge our faith. They're things that that are stretching us that help us grow. Not just in our own personal character, but in our relationship with God. And that's what God is all about. God is all about us growing. This whole life here is is us training, us being brought into conformity to Christ, us being brought closer to God. And, And God's all about that. And that's what he does with Saul. You see, it says in that first verse we read, after many days... And we have trouble putting a definite, well, what does that mean? Is it, a, you know, five days, a week? Is it, is it months? And actually, we have to go to another passage to find out what God was doing in Saul's life and how much time it took. And in Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, Paul is talking about this time, and he went for two to three years into Arabia. Now, not Saudi Arabia like we think of it, but Arabia in which Damascus was included. Damascus was a town that was under uh, Aretas, who was the, uh, the king of, what's it called? Arabia Patria. Okay, so he went for a two to three year period. He went from Damascus into that area. It was kind of like a, an area we don't know very much about, and God dealt with him. God helped him to grow. God was teaching him, just like he came to him on the road. The Lord came to him on the road. The Lord came and and taught Saul face to face. And that is how he becomes called an apostle. Somebody who was like the 12 who walked with Jesus and Jesus trained them. Paul was trained. Trained by the Lord. The Lord came to him. Paul, in fact, talks at a later time about 
being drawn up into heaven. He had visions. He had, boy, a real program he went through. And not only was there that in his training, but there was also this facing opposition. So what happens is, after many days, after this time in, in Arabia, Petraea, in this wilderness sort of wandering, kind of like Moses, right? Training time with the Lord, he comes back to Damascus and he begins to teach the gospel in a very bold way probably a very clear way because of his Bible school course out in the wilderness. And you know what? There was no confusion. Remember how last week he was in Damascus and he comes to Damascus and people go, wait a minute, what's this guy talking about? What's he talking about? Jesus saving him, Jesus coming to him. He was the guy who was supposed to be the persecutor. And now he's back, he's teaching the gospel and on the part of the people, there's no confusion. This guy has changed sides. He's changed sides. We've got to kill him. Now, in some senses, I think we all look at this kind of a story as, wow, what a cool story. You know, here he is, he's preaching, and then, you know, he's got to escape in the night basket let down over the wall and we think man i wish my christian life was a little more concrete like that you know it wasn't this uh spiritual uh, struggle that i have a lot of times just eternally and wondering are those people really is this a spiritual attack are they op opposing me are they fueled you know things were very clear for him and it was kind of cool kind of like one of those spy movies uh you know, where he gets let down in this basket over the wall. Seems a little melodramatic. And we could think, wow, how cool. Except, if we were in this situation, we'd remember these people were trying to kill him. And so he escaped. He escaped by the, the skin of his teeth, it seemed. They responded to him the same way that well, others responded to Stephen as he proclaimed the gospel. They wanted to take him out. As they responded to Jesus, who was the one who embodied the gospel. And we would say, why? Why did they respond like that? Why do people respond like that? Because they understand the gospel. The gospel is no little threat. The gospel is not a little threat to people and their autonomy and who they are. It's a complete transformation. It's Jesus coming to us and saying, you know what? You've been living for yourself no more. You've had that religion, and, but it's really all about you, but no more. You need to lay your life down. And you need to live for me. And the Jews understood that. And that's why I say Paul, he went through, Saul went through this training time. And he, he learned what the gospel was. Communicated it clearly. Said this is what happened to me. This is what the Lord is calling us to do. This is the demand that he has on our life. He's our creator. We're living in wicked sin. And he says change everything. And the Jews go, wait a second. We, we just want to be these Jews and, you know, it's our religion and their demands, but it's something we understand and it's all about us. And the individual says, hold on a second. You want me to do what? You want me to give up who I am and living for me? Completely? Lay down my life. Take up my cross. And as they listen to that truth, you know what? And Paul was probably very effective now in laying that truth out. As they hear that truth, it, it's a hard truth to argue. Because it's truth. You know, you think of it. You see, we see in this world how people try and argue against truth. And eventually they get frustrated why 
Because there's no good argument against truth. In the end, the truth is kind of obvious, even though people try and shout it down. Truth is obvious. And everybody in their hearts go, yeah, that's what's true. But we're still going to fight against it. Well, the only way to fight against it is knock out the testimony. Get rid of it. And that's what their plan was with Saul. Let's kill him. Because he, he, he seems to have these good arguments. He seems to be able to uh, communicate clearly. Let's just eliminate him. And they follow the root of their, their leader. And as we remember in John 10.10, 10, you know, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And that is what our plan is, or what the human plan is, when it comes to God's truth. We need to wipe that truth out. But even in these situations, God can deliver. We know He's not obligated. We remember what those three guys, uh, confronted by the fiery furnace in Daniel, and what they said, I appreciated it so much. They said, you know, king, we're not going to worship that idol. And you're threatening to throw us into a fiery furnace. Our God can deliver us from this real life circumstance. But they said, he may not. They said that. He may not. And if he doesn't, we're still better off. We're still going to be faithful. We're still going to worship him because he is a real God. We'll trust in him. And in that situation, we see how God intervened and he saved them. We see in Stephen's situation that we studied just a couple weeks ago, how he didn't. God doesn't have this obligation. He can help us escape. But that's not the most important part. You say, well, yeah, but in this moment it was, right? We can't be sure. That was the best option. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes back later and talks about this situation. I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, verse 30 and 33 if you want to look at it later. And you know what he says? I was weak. That was a time of weakness. That was a weak response for me to go in the basket over the wall. Amazing, eh? I say, well, why would he say that then? Well, because he'd been through many situations where he was facing persecution. And you remember the time when the, they were leading him away, the soldiers were taking him away. He goes, just a minute, just a minute. And he turns back to the mob and he preaches to them clearly. And it fixes everything. No, it doesn't fix everything. It makes things worse. But he realizes, you know, bold proclamation of the gospel is more important than my safety. And there's so many situations where, you know what? Saul didn't take his safety into his own hands. In fact, he just said, I'm going to keep preaching boldly. I'm going to present the gospel boldly. And the Lord took care of him <laughs> as those stones hit him i wonder if he was thinking oh the lord's taking care of me uh as he was left for dead and then the brothers come and they gather around him and he gets up again i wonder if he's thinking oh the lord's taking care of me but he realized you know what it's not our job to say lord deliver me from this it's not our responsibility to look out for our own protection. We're in God's hands. He'll take care of us. And that's one of those big transformations that takes place in salvation. We do not have to protect ourselves because God will. Sometimes he does it by taking us out of this life. No, all the time he does it. I mean, that's our eventual end, isn't it? Our escape from the struggle of this life. Our facing, that's the end of the gospel. Our salvation in the presence of the Lord. 
And so God can do it, but sometimes he doesn't. In this moment, there was a basket, there was a rope. They didn't just drop him over the wall, and they, they deliver, he was delivered by God. The second part, the second provision is the friendship of Barnabas. And I said, friendship's a very small word here. We kind of look at somebody, oh, they're a friend, you know, we're, we're nice to each other or whatever. When we're talking about Christian camaraderie, Christian communion, uh, Christian friendship, we're talking about something that is a whole lot deeper. And you know, Barnabas, or Saul comes back to Jerusalem and, and he goes in there and everybody who's a believer in Christ, it seems, is running away from him. And there's one guy who instead runs toward him and we go, how come? How would Barnabas be able to do this? Well, few reasons. Barnabas wasn't a leader except in character. Barnabas wasn't a leader except in his relationship with God, right? He wasn't one of the apostles. But we read back in Acts chapter 4 that he was the guy, one of, the, one of those first people when, when people started liquidating assets to give money in order to help those who were in need. He did that. He said, I'm, I'm selling this so that others' needs can be taken care of. We read, we'll read later on in Acts chapter 11, it says, he was a good man, a righteous man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And so his relationship with God was close. And it changed the way he related with other people. Sounds kind of like Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. In terms of the outworking of our salvation, those two things are absolutely important, aren't they? And that's what was going on in Barnabas' life. He had a great relationship with God. Perfect love. Do you remember this verse? Casts out fear. Boldly willing to do what others were not willing to do. Is that your relationship? Is that my relationship with God today? And not simply facing you know, a physical threat, but also those kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Subtle threats. If I say this, if I bring God up in this conversation, if I talk to that person about the gospel, what are they going to think of me? The fear, the fear of man, brings a snare, doesn't it? Takes us down. It inhibits us from growing in our relationship with God. Saul was bold. It says here twice in this passage. He preached boldly. If we remember back to Acts chapter 4 verse 29, after the apostles were brought into court, after they faced the opposition they faced, they got together, they had a prayer meeting. What did they pray for? God, give us boldness. That which the apostles prayed for and showed, it seemed like Saul got in double portion. That's what the gospel transformation does to us. And we need to continue to nurture that transformation, that there is a boldness, a boldness for the gospel. And, and here Paul was, goes back into Jerusalem, the hot spot, the place where he started out as the persecutor. And he preaches. And here's Barnabas, a guy who comes along and, and he had every reason, along with the rest of the believers, to doubt Saul's conversion. To think, this is an elaborate plan. He's come back. He's going to be a spy. He's going to get into our church and he's going to be writing down names. So that he can report us to the authorities or that he can carry on with that wonderful plan he had before to imprison 
and kill Christians. But Barnabas did not respond like that. He was led by the Lord and he showed this incredible friendship to Saul. Do we have that kind of uh, camaraderie, that kind of a love for our fellow Christians? Where does that come from? Where does it come from, that kind of a, a, a love and a commitment to one another? It comes from facing opposition together. It comes from building relationships through difficult times. It comes from spending time in the trenches together. We watched a war movie last night, and it's always overwhelming to see, I know this is a representation, a depiction of soldiers and the relationship they have because they face death together. And you hear it said today, if there's a soldier interviewed and they say, you know, why why did you fight like that? And I know it's always great when we think, well, I'm fighting to protect my, my home and my freedom and that sort of thing. But most of them, what they say is something like this, I'm fighting for the guy next to me. They build up this camaraderie and in the end, it, it's like, there they are. Well, I'm fighting to help that guy survive and we're, we're in this together and they built this deep, deep bond and the guys one of some of the guys who were looking at last night world war ii the last one of them died in 2019 and they went through uh, a real difficult time together and they got together every year after that and you think of that that's a a physical battle temporal results what we're talking about is a spiritual battle with eternal value and eternal results and you think of the relationships that we have with other christians and we think are they as deep as they should be can they be deeper why would they be so deep and it's only when we're involved in that struggle together, when we serve alongside of one another, when we face opposition and understand the attack. What happens in the future with these two guys who were in the trenches together, starting in Jerusalem? It was Paul and Barnabas who went out on the first missionary journey, isn't it? These guys just didn't learn. <laughs> they went out again and faced worse things on their own. Just the two of them. Beyond the range of the protective body of the church. And they continued to grow in their relationship, in their, in their fellowship, as they struggled together. And this is a provision of God. If we're committed to preaching his gospel in a bold way, living his gospel in a bold way, he's going to provide people. He's going to provide Christian brothers to stand with us, to have a deep relationship, a deep commitment to one another, no matter what. This next part is, is really kind of just a, an extension of that because it builds off of what Barnabas established with Saul as he came back to Jerusalem. We have um, the other Christian brothers who help in terms of guidance. Barnabas responded, the other brothers, the church family caught on, and as Saul was a lightning rod for the attack once again because of his boldness in sharing the gospel. These 
brothers came alongside and they helped him. They helped him not simply with what he would have been doing, supporting him in that, but also helping him make decisions. Because it seems like at this point in time, maybe Saul was getting the idea, okay, I, I should stand and face persecution. And these guys came alongside and they put him on the ship going to Caesarea. They got him out of there at that point in time. And it seemed like, okay, this is something that the Lord was in, the Lord was behind. Because it was the people in the church who together with Saul made this decision and moved him along. And you think, sometimes when we're inside a situation, when we're trying to do something, we can't get it figured out. But God provides Christian brothers. He provides a body, a congregation, a family who can help us make decisions that we can't make ourselves, that can help give godly guidance in the difficult situations that we're facing in life. That's what we see happening here. You know, we came home from Peru. We did not come home uh, of our own volition. It wasn't something that we just went, oh, well, things aren't going so well as far as health or as far as this or that. And so it was really our church that made that decision for us. We were in the middle of the situation and we knew what we'd been called to and we were going to stick it out. We kept going. But then our church has spiritual authority over us. Our church in Harrow. And they were the ones who said, you know what? You need to come home. You need to get this figured out at home. And it was sort of, in one sense, uh, you know, hard to come to grips with that decision. But in another sense, it was, wow, these people have just made a decision that we couldn't make ourselves. And I think that's what we see going on here with Saul. The brothers, the Christian brothers, the church said, okay, Saul, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get on the ship. We're going to get you out of here. And so God provided timely guidance. And we see, you know, later on as the story develops that it was probably best that he didn't die in Jerusalem in that moment. Right? The guy went on and, and did a whole lot for the Lord according to the, God's planning. And this is the thing. This is the, the point. It's not that we stand and fight. It's not that we run. It's not that we're, we, we stick to our guns or that we remove ourselves from the situation. It's God's plan. And God has our best interest, His best interest, His glory, and our good in mind. And you know what? Most of the time, we don't know, do we? We don't know how to get to the proper conclusion. But God provides. He may provide a way of escape. He will provide people to stand with you. He'll provide guidance in some way so that His purposes can be fulfilled. And that's what we see in the last verse, the conclusion of Saul's conversion. It wasn't just all about Saul. It wasn't, oh, this is such a great guy. I mean, he's such a powerful leader. We need to protect this guy. We need to bring him into the church. We need to use him. No, it was God saying, you know what? I'm going to build my church. And this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. And so God provides all along the way. And we see it in verse 31. Look at it with me. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. The word there is like building a house, edifying. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so this summary verse to Saul's conversion doesn't talk about Saul at all. It talks about what God accomplished in the conclusion of this whole matter. God's final provision, not simply for the individual, for Saul, with, with escape or friendship or guidance. It was his provision for the body, the church. And what did he provide them with? Peace. Strange sort of peace. There was still opposition. Yes, there was persecution. But at this moment, he gave them a sense of peace and they were able to do two things. Be edified and to multiply. The purpose of the church. That's what God does through the church. He builds the church up. Builds people stronger. Gives us more understanding. Draws us closer. And then multiplication. More people come to know Christ through the building up of the believers. I love it when there's these sort of balancing things going on. And we see here, okay, there's persecution, but God will always give us peace. The purpose he has is that his church be edified and that it multiply. And then we see, what is, what is it? What is the, the tension that we're presented with here in this verse? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's not that everything, you know, is just easy. No, we, we recognize who the Lord is. We respect Him for who He is, for what He's done, and, and we want to obey him but there's also this great comfort because the lord comes alongside he's in us he's living through us remember what jesus said back in john i think it was john 16 where he says you know the comforter's coming the holy spirit we realize that this is what god is doing as he takes us through persecution, as he provides for us through that time, as he gives us his peace, his comfort, you're on the right track. And, and we're looking to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Holy Spirit is giving us comfort. And we advance. We advance because we have confidence in him. We have confidence in his purposes. We have confidence that his plan is what will fulfill his purposes, and sometimes, most of the time, all of the time, it will include some sort of opposition. It will. And as we look at the world we live in right now, we think, yeah, yeah, there's some latent low-level persecution taking place against the church of Jesus Christ. And it might be going to increase in the not-too-distant future. So what do we do? Pray for boldness. Keep living a bold faith, knowing that God will provide He'll give us the peace we need for what we're to face. And He will build His church. He'll accomplish His purposes. And one of the greatest purposes He has is our ultimate salvation. A whole lot in there for us. A whole lot to learn. But the way that we really learn this lesson, this truth, is through the living of it. Father, help us. Help us to be a people who grow in our commitment to you. Um, Lord, sometimes we look at our lives and we say, yeah, you saved me, Lord. You, you transformed my heart. You gave me that faith. And yet we realize that we, we kind of backpedal 
we don't continue to live out that faith in a bold way. We shrink from the opposition that is put there to cause us to be stronger, to push us closer to you, to help our faith grow. Each one of us, Lord, we look at our lives and we go, yeah, I can see this past week where I failed, where I didn't step out, and I'm paying for it in terms of missing out on the intimacy that I could be having with you, Lord. The intimacy that we could have as a congregation, Christian brothers and sisters, Christian soldiers in the fight. Help us, Lord. Help us to push back against the opposition, even as that opposition shows up in our own minds and hearts to what you would have us do. Help us to live our life boldly for you. To become more effective at sharing this gospel. This gospel that is so compelling because it's so necessary. We're lost without it. Help us to see our world. Help us to see those individuals around us as being lost without it. And Lord, as we grow in our faith, may we advance as your church and may we glorify your name as you have called us to, as you have enabled us to, as you continue to provide for us in difficult days. Thank you for your love. Thank you for willingly, mercifully teaching us your truth again through another story, through another example from another believer's life. May we, may we take this truth and, and may it become a reality in our life for your glory, for your namesake, for your honor, for your kingdom. Amen.